from the former convent of the Good Shepherd overlooking Inwood Hill Park in New York City. Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where you meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home in what we affectionately call upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we welcome wardrobe professional Aaron Brookroth. With over 25 years in the costume and wardrobe world, Aaron Roth has re- worked in regional theater, summer stock, bus and truck tours, national tours, and spent the last 13 of those years working on Broadway and the past four in film and television. Aaron's a graduate of Butler University with degrees in theater and history and received an MFA from the University of Cincinnati Cons- College Conservatory of Music in costume design and construction with an emphasis on wig and makeup design and construction. She has made anything and everything that goes on an actor's body and has dressed actors in any situation you can possibly think of. We are thrilled to have her with us today as a guest on Inwood Artworks On Air. So welcome, Aaron. Good to see you. Hi, Aaron. So since you have pretty much made it all, so yeah. she says, um, what is the most unique thing that you've built that has um, gone on an actor's body? It's been on an actor's body. Uh, Theater-wise, I did an Indian... Head Roach for a production at Indiana Repertory Theater for a new piece that they premiered like eons ago. Um, And then recently for film and TV, I did a suit where the entire back side of it from neck down was completely naked. So when he stood up and turned around, all you saw was nakedness. (laughs) He's just naked. I wonder how that fitting went. Um, well, very interesting because I had to basically lay under him like I was, he was a car and mark certain things. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, you should, you should read the fine print and the contracts <laughs> when you're yeah. asked to do certain things. Yeah. Here. No one told me I was going to have to mark where something lands on a modesty sock. That was, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> you, Again, only, only, <laughs> only, only, only any, as, a, as a phrase, anything can happen in the theater and film, and it usually does. It does. It um, does. Well, in my opinion, you're among the best stitchers and builders in the business Aww. and always produce quality work. Uh, how early in your life did you discover an affinity for, quote unquote, playing with fabric and sewing? And, you know, what led you to the decision to pursue this vocation? Um my mom had taught me how to sew when I was young because she would sew a lot of my clothes until I decided I didn't want to wear them anymore. Um, and then in undergrad, it was my work study. Um, so that helped paid for Butler because you know Butler's not cheap. <laughs> and so I was there in the costume shop while I was also trying to be an actor. And then after that, I was getting jobs in costume shops and then suddenly I realized... I don't want to act anymore because it's not regular and I can work in costuming and not only work regularly, but also get health insurance because this was pre um, Affordable Care Act. So we didn't have insurance until 26. You're a freelancer. Yeah, Yeah. freelancer. So the more that I could get steady work that provided health insurance, that was important at that time because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Did you tell your? Do you remember telling your parents that, "Hey, I'm going to go pursue a life in the theater"? Because God, also, no, I never did. Because, or, or, or but, you, but you had to in a way that because they're going to major in it. Well, uh, at yeah, Butler, but, so I mean, I know it's still a, it's a, still a, a testing period. But, 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 but departing, like, do you remember the moment where you kind of said, like, "Okay, I'm going to transition over to costume and wardrobe full time"? 
I don't think we ever had that conversation because that's not what my family <laughs> dynamic is. You're just like, I'm doing this. Hope, you, yeah. hope, hope to see you at Christmas. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I was like, I have a job here. I'm going to go do this. But growing up, she's employed. Yeah, exactly. None of us children um, ever really talked to mom and dad about what we were going to do with our lives. I mean, Eric said at one point, Eric is my eldest brother that he wanted to go into the military and the secret service. And my mom said, absolutely the hell not. That's the only time any of us talked about our careers. Um, my parents, I guess both figured as long as I was healthy and employed and in a relatively stable life work situation, everything was going to be fine. And I don't actively ever recall saying, Oh, I dream of being an actress and being on stage and screen and blah, blah, blah. And I never actively recall saying, Oh, I would love to go build costumes somewhere. I've just always been fascinated with um, clothing because uh, when I was, we were stationed in St. Louis, so that was 11 or 12, I saw Gone with the Wind for the first time. And I'd never seen it, never experienced it. And just the scope and beauty of those clothes, yes, the story is problematic, yes, the history is problematic, but at 11, all I saw were these gorgeous gowns and these gorgeous uh, suits these men's were, that men were wearing. And that fascinated me. And it always was kind of in the back of my head. Um, but it was never an active choice to go into costuming. And, and I kind of luckily fell into each job and just kept honing my skills and honing my skills. And after a couple of years at Indiana Rep, because I was doing um, crafts, crafts, dyeing, painting, and then sewing when they needed someone else to sew, I realized I can't work my way up in this environment unless I have more of an education. So that's when I went to go get the master's in costuming because I could learn on the job only so much, but after that, you know, no one there was going to take time out to teach me how to tailor a men's suit or teach me how to flat pattern a garment or drape a garment. Um, so I had to go get that education elsewhere. So then I went to grad school and that grad school didn't give me exactly what I was looking for. So I just kind of kept trying to find everything and all the information that I could, reading all the books that I could, experimenting when I could on uh, commissions people hired me to build or you know, suddenly an actor has a suit that he needs to make look like 1800s. Okay, so how do we do that? So it was a lot of experimentation and just kind of figuring it out because um, cause I wanted to, because I had to. Yeah, well, you're bringing me to a great point. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that, well, it's, it's talent isn't enough to make mm -mm. a career mm -mm. in the business. It takes hustle. Yep. It takes perseverance uh, to stay in it. And something that you kind of said that I'll reflect on for a second is that it and to borrow the phrase from Hamlet, holding the mirror up to nature to yourself and saying what, asking yourself the hard questions yeah. of like, where is my self-perceived weaknesses yeah. of, and you're never going to know everything and how to do anything. And no. something I faced going to grad school as an older man too, not that I'm ancient, but you know, I went back <laughs> I'm to- I'm older than you. <laughs> but, but, but I went back to grad school at 37 yeah. and that's a lot different than before. And, yeah, but uh, when I went to CCM, I was in my early 30s. Still, so, yeah. still also challenging. It's, a, it's, a it's, big, it's better than it's, someone yeah. coming out of like McGill at 22 yeah. or like, you know, or Cincinnati or, yeah. or 
Butler, whoever else, and going right. It's you. You went. The point is that you had experience. You had life experiences, and then went back yeah. yep. um, to increase your skill set and your vocation. Yeah. Um, so it takes um, takes a hard look at yourself to um, you know. It kind of answers the question. It's like, well, how do you build a career? Um, you have to keep reevaluating what you it do. is you want out of it. What do you do? Uh, and so thanks for kind of walking us through how you kind of leapfrogged from your undergrad into grad school and in between what you did there. Um, so did you have any mentors along the way that helped you to um, bring, bring you through uh, into grad school? And, uh, and I guess I guess quite, I think it's kind of the same question in a way. Any mentors that helped you push it through? But also, too, I think it's not just because mentors can only give you advice for so long, yeah. right? Um, it's up to you to do the work. Um, and so is there a particular big break slash turning point or points plural that moments stay with you, whether it was in your training or your, or the workplace that advanced, that advanced you along in your career? Well, for both of us, you and I, cause we both went to the same undergrad, yeah. uh, Dan work was a huge mentor. And when we, you remember how he would do that meeting at the beginning and he would talk to everybody in the department and there was an introduction of all the other professors and he very directly said, if you want theater, you've got to do it for yourself because no one's going to do it. And that has always stuck with me. So in the back of my head has always been this thought of if you want this job, you have to do it for yourself. So that keeps me going. And then um, Dan Pugh, who was our uh, costuming professor, more so yours than mine, because they were all out on sabbatical. <laughs> um, there was a lot of sabbatical when I was an undergrad, so there was a lot of things that I missed. It's good to be um, a professor of theater sometimes. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, and he always looked at how can I make this piece of fabric or how can I make this garment work for what I have, because I have a budget constraint or I have a time constraint. So that always taught me, okay, look at everything in more, more ways than one. Look at all the different perspectives of how you can make this work or how you can change this or, you know, add some trim here, cut a sleeve there, do whatever to make it work. And that's, you know, that's very much a mindset of university and of summer stock. How do you get it done? So that helped push me along, I think, later on when I was um, not really sure of where I was going to go. I was like, okay, well, let's look at all the different aspects of what you can do in this job and what you can do in this industry. You can go dress on Broadway. That's great. That's fun. That's lovely. You can also pick up side hustle jobs of, oh, I'm going to alter this actor's clothes or, oh, I'm going to, you know, build this uh, garment for a show that's being shipped off. Um, and then I would think, I would say that uh, in Indianapolis at IRT, the shop manager there, she was instrumental in getting my temper in check because you've known me for years you know you know I have a temper and I didn't know how to regulate that when I was younger and first working professionally and she kind of took me to the side and said you can't wear your reactions on your face to everything because a, a designer would come up and give me a ton of notes and I would be panicked that I needed to get it done and I would just shut down instantly yeah. and she's like no Know that there's always people there to help you. You just have to ask. Know that things can be solved. You just have to ask. And that was also a big point for me where I was like, oh, I don't have to take everything on, you know? 
There's not, if it doesn't get done, no one's going to die. No one's going to. It's only theater. It's only theater. (laughs) It's only theater. It may seem like the biggest thing in the world, but. But you have a lot of pride in your work too. And, and, and said to be said about you that you, I think it's part of the way you're built too, driving you like you can, you're, you're at the end of the day, it's you facing yourself and what kind of work you you want to put out being the freelancer. It's like you're answerable to yourself at the end of the day. You're not answering. Yes, you have employers, of course. Uh, but, um, it is. It's important. It's a great, great life lesson and I guess and teaching moment you shared. Uh, I think because like it's you can. It's not up to you to save the day by yourself every time. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Others yeah. will help you find a solution. Yeah. You know, even if it's just brainstorming, they'll still help you find a solution, and that's a hard lesson to learn, like in life or even in this industry. Yeah. You know, there's always. You either throw money at the problem or you throw brains at the problem. Take your pick. Yeah. You know? It's true. And nine times out of ten, it ends up being brains because there is no money in this industry. <laughs> not anymore. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, nope. maybe in film and television, but definitely, definitely not in theater. Oh, God. Even then, the amount that we're nickel and dime on film and TV, as those of us who are the technicians, is astounding. And it's just like, I'm sorry. If you want this level of service, then you have to pay for that level of service. Yeah. That's how the world works. Well, I'm glad you brought it up because, um, you know, film and television is a bigger payday than working in theater it is. Uh, across the board. Yeah. Um, and many of the skill sets are transferable. Yes. Um, but the production process and the scheduling of it make it quite different. Uh, can you share with the uninitiated or, or and, and, and those, but and those looking, remember yourself, looking yeah. to make the jump to TV and film world. Um, what to expect, and what might be asked of a stitcher slash builder slash wardrobe technician? Um, the technical aspects are all transferable. If you if you know how to hem a pair of pants in theater, you know how to hem a pair of pants in film and TV. A lot of times it's done a lot quicker because you have a fitting 10 minutes before the actor has to be in front of camera, so you have to figure out... You don't have a four-hour call to work on it. No! And usually it's at five in the morning and you're on a wardrobe truck in some random place in the city. So that's fun. Um, It's learning how to work quickly as a tailor when it comes to it because you know what you're doing, but the, the time crunch is much quicker. And that's very frustrating. And that was very frustrating when I first started. Um... It's getting better because I still have someone in the back of my head going, Aaron, if you ask someone to help you solve the problem, they'll solve the problem with you. So the technical part is not an issue. It's the learning the terminology. It's the learning, you know, how quick something needs to be done. It's the learning how to survive in a four-hour fitting with an actress that is very needy and greedy. It is learning how to survive when suddenly you're called to set because – a pair of pants blows out and 900 people are waiting for you to fix a pair of pants on an actor. And it's just, it's it's a different stress, but you just kind of have to roll with it. And it's, it's a more directed stress than theater, you know, Mm -hmm. because in theater you have the four hour call to get it done. Yeah. And you're just sitting in a musty old, basement of a theater to, <laughs> with the mold to, with, and the rats with, coming with, around with, yeah you have something on there um to get it done yeah and, um but all all great points um are there uh in, this, in the same breath um you know there's you know 
any mistakes that you've made that you want to share that you're like, oh shit, I really thought like that was the way you do things, but this is the way you do things. Like you wouldn't know it walking in the door in a film and TV set. Um, they're a lot more territorial in film and TV. Uh, a lot of the the other positions in film and TV are shocked that I've dressed actors before in the past. You're a lot more segmented in what you do. Like if you're a key customer, that's all you do. You don't touch. BG, which is background, you don't do set costuming. There's very segmented parts. So a lot of times where I'll say, yeah, I have no problem dressing BG. Yeah, I'll go be your key for the day. I don't care because in theater, we are taught whatever you want, whatever is asked of you, you do it. Right. You know, and I, I think that's what misses, that's what's missing in the film and TV world is that they aren't taught from the beginning because maybe they just start there or maybe that's all they ever wanted to do but they aren't taught you do everything it takes to get it done so being a theater person you're a lot more flexible you're a lot more think on your feet you're a lot more problem solving you're a lot more team playing let's get it all done let's go for it and I'm not saying there aren't instances of that in film and tv but I've noticed that if I'm the tailor no one ever wants me to adjust clothes on set. They all just kind of stand back like, what are you doing? That's my job. And okay, that's fine. In all honesty, we're all getting paid the same amount, darling. So it doesn't matter who's fluffing the actor's collar. But it's very, this is mine, don't take it. And that's hard for me to transition yeah. into because we, you and I, have both in, been in the industry of, oh, wait, this light is falling? Let me hold that up while we're doing the scene and someone's changing me from behind. Because yeah. we've all done that in it, theater. It, it takes a village in theater. It does. Yeah, every day. Uh, well, thank you for sharing those because those are yeah. really great points and I think people need to hear that. Yeah. Um, so, so don't kill me. But uh, oh having had a career in theater for a quarter of a century, uh, you had some you have some wisdom to share, and mm -hmm. you just you just gave us some pearls of wisdom. Um, so you let's go. For, we're going from the the micro to the mac, the larger picture here. Um, so can you speak to how the industry has changed? Uh, you can say better for better or for worse, if you will. Um, from your first gig, which I believe was Main State Musical Theater, wasn't that your oh, first God. gig? No, uh, no. Before that was. Chillicothe. Oh yeah, Tecumseh. <laughs> that was your first one, right? Oh god, that I do was remember. Hell. I was that was I do remember that as well. So uh, <laughs> so uh, Tecumseh. So how has life changed from riding a horse in Tecumseh? Um, I'm just teasing, but uh, but honestly though, uh, from your first gig to where you are now, and like, and what changes in the culture would you like to see um, as we all try to do better moving forward? Um, We've seen a lot of changes because we talked about this kind of encapsulates your career from like you've seen the summer stock. And yeah. and the national tours, the bus and truck, the one nighters to the long to the longer ones. You did the Forty Second Street tour. Um, the first when, when that tour, went out. Yeah. First non-act tour of that when that went out way back in uh, was it ninety seven? When was that? Something like that. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I always have I, to look at my resume yeah, for matter. the date. Maybe I'm like, was, I think it was, was actually it? I think it was later. I think it was like two thousand one or something like that. It was, but um, yeah. uh, but I'm just curious though because I think from industry in general because we can talk about wardrobe and costume store the cows come home but really it's all about the larger picture and creating theater together as you just said um so could you, can well, you speak to the, the, your experience and seeing how the industry has changed and shifted and this honestly has only been a recent suddenly everybody realizes no we shouldn't work 18 hour days and kill ourselves to get this done and i think that has only been recently because of the shutdown. Because prior to that, right. 
everybody was running at 900 miles an hour, even on Broadway, to get it done and get it right. Particularly tech days. Yeah. When you're doing a 10 out of 12 and you're doing four of them in a row, or when I, my first show in New York was Mary Poppins, and we did an entire month of 10 out of 12s. We spent four days on It's a Jolly Holiday for Mary, and I wanted to kill her after that. And it was. And it just, wasn't her fault. It wasn't her fault. It's just that constant ten out of twelve pressure. Yeah. And and if you've ever done a ten out of twelve, you know at some point you you just learn all leave all brain capacity behind. Yeah. It means you, you work ten function. out of twelve hours in a day. For those who don't understand what ten out of twelve means. But here's the thing: as a wardrobe person, we're usually in four hours before that ten out of twelve starts. Because you have to prep the costumes yep. and do the laundry call. Yeah. And, and, and which get is everything a, preset. So it's and really get sixteen arranged. hours. At least 16 yeah. hours in a day and do that for an entire month and you only have one day off. It's not a way to have a life, period. No. Um, but now there are, I don't know if they've really changed it. I think they've changed it in the equity contract where you can't do so many 10 out of 12s. It's an only, it's only an eight hour day, mm-hmm. which is great. And I know a lot of theaters have started doing that. Um, I haven't done an opening of a show since uh, Danny Burstein's uh, Fiddler on the Roof. So it's been six years almost since yeah. I've dressed on Broadway. Um, so that's getting better, I think. Uh, I think the other thing that has changed, and it's a good thing to see, is that there are more women in positions of leadership because for ages it was only no offense, gentlemen, old white guys that were running the theaters and that were running the um, artistic side and the production side. I mean, when I was at IRT, the fact that there was a woman running IRT was not heard of in regional theater. Janet. Janet Allen. Janet Allen. Um, So it was rare that she was a female artistic director because every other regional theater in the area was... Before her was was Libby Apple with Morgan Shakes. Yeah. Two. Yeah. but, you know, like Cincinnati, it was male. Uh, Ed Stern. Date. Date had Marsha Hanna. Did she? Um, did it? At Human Race. Okay. And then Kevin Moore took over after she passed. Brian Fonseca was at um, Phoenix. He just passed, yeah. actually, during oh, COVID. Oh, God, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, like past, past year. Her. Yeah. Um, see, people in Indianapolis, we keep tabs on you. <laughs> even though we, we, Well, my job is to know everything that happens in theater, so that's what I do. Well, true. But, um, you have uh, known anybody and everybody always. You're, well, that's... We, we try. Yeah. Um, try to be good about it. Um, but these are great points, too. It's like the industry, thanks for answering the question, because it's not an easy question. It's open, which is yeah. hard. Is that, you know, true? Like diversity in casting, diversity in the yep. workplace, um, women and minority uh, in, in leadership positions. Uh, and I, I think there's something really truthful to people seeing people in positions. Yeah. That I want to be you. I yeah. want to be um, what they do. Because um, there's a different way that that person can articulate that position that perhaps would not be um, <laughs> yeah, as attractive as an old white guy yeah. uh, doing it, and it seems not as is not accessible to them. Yeah. Um, from a from a teaching point to a for a recruiting point, and let's face it, we need to be stewards and ambassadors for um, film and television, yeah. and arts and culture, particularly live performance. Exactly. Uh, because it is. 
I, I don't agree with the people who say theater is dying and stuff like that. It'll never die. Good luck. Um, try to kill it. You can theater try. is storytelling. And storytelling say, has been around since fire Sitting was around invented. the campfire is, is yeah. exactly, and the church is like, it's yeah. where we spring from. And these, and <laughs> spirituality ain't going away and neither is fire. So uh, <laughs> there we go. But uh, it's... to bring it a little hot put, and heavy before put, Easter. Yeah, and well, you know what? You know, it felt like it is, kids. Um, but uh, so... Um, Bringing it back to your your work a little bit, um, having accomplished so much and still being so young, uh, is there any bucket list projects or aspect of the industry that you haven't worked in yet that you'd like to pursue? My secret fantasy retirement job is interning at a Seville Rotailer, just because. Did you just watch the like The Kingsman or something like no, that? No, but I want to see that. That looks like an it's, amazing movie. It's good. Um, men's tailoring has always fascinated me because it rarely changes shape. It rarely changes form. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go to the pinnacle, like when I was starting out in Summerstock, Broadway was the pinnacle. I've done Broadway. Okay. I've done Fashion Week. It's just community I've done theater with unlimited TV. budget. It yeah. really is community theater with unlimited budget. Um, it, it is limited too, I have to say. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I've done film and TV. I don't know. I mean, one of these days I'm sure I'll do a movie. Um, I had fantasized about working on the Gilded Age and then I watched it and was horrified by the costumes. So I don't want to work there. Um, which you can't own by the way, for those people who are working on the show, it's not their fault. (laughs) It's not their fault. Okay. It's not their fault. They did an amazing job. I just have personal issues with the silhouettes. There you go. But that's me because I'm, I'm more of a purist in my costume history because, um, because <laughs> it goes back to not having really learned costume history because that professor was on sabbatical. <laughs> so I learned well, about the dogs in costume again. history. No, it true. does come back to Butler. But it, it's funny. Um, but we learned a lot there too. Just we give did. Butler a shout out for a second. Is that li- I miss the, liberal arts education was good for us. It was, it was amazing. Because we, we did everything. Yeah. I mean, we had to do lights. We had to do sound. We had to do act we had to do costumes we had to yeah. paint the floor in the freaking theater i mean yeah, everything that was everything. required of it we did that and, and, I and, think, and then the, and the creative work exactly and it's made us more versatile as not only artists but also versatile as as people because well, as a producer yeah. i can speak people's languages by having done exactly. it all and you can say I exactly mean, I'm not a playwright and person, i mean yeah. whether anybody on this podcast series knows you're a honorable withdrawal local 764 member. So you have dressed on Broadway. I have dressed on Broadway. Yeah. And I've dressed Fashion Week as well. Exactly. So you have done all aspects of it. I have, I have done it all on the professional level for sure. And, and I uh, think that's a strong, you know, basis of learning from Butler is what has, has yeah. served us well all these years yeah. later. It, it, it absolutely absolutely has. Yeah. A definite big affection for the, the old Butler Theater <laughs> program there. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and win some games, why don't you guys? Come on. Uh, hey. But uh, I know. We got to get the teens back going there. I know. Um, well, uh, is there anything else I'd like to talk about? Um, we've had, is there, is there, I guess one thing is, is there any one project you're particularly proud of that you've done? <sighs> Slash show. The, the, favorite, the two favorite Broadway shows I've ever worked on. Dressing. One was Fela because mm-hmm. it was something I had never experienced before. And it, representation matters. 
It was an all black cast on Broadway I when saw there it. were no other all black. It was casts a party. It was a big party. It was a big party every night, and the music yeah. was infectious. And I now own several Fela Kuti albums because I had not been exposed to that music before. And I have a what not as wide a range of music choice as you, but I have a very broad scope. And so it opened that whole other world to me, and it opened a whole other world to me of performers I hadn't worked with before yeah. because, you know, it's basically all white on Broadway. It is getting better, and it can only get better. I really want it to get better. Um, so Fela, I loved dressing. It was fun backstage. It was fun on stage. Um, every single one of the performers there was kind to me, whereas in other shows I have experienced, people aren't kind. Be nice to your dresser and exactly. make sure you tip them. Exactly, because we know all, we see all. Yeah. Um, and then my other personal favorite, which I'm very sad, was I dressed um, the last ship on Broadway was Sting. And Sting has been my crush since I was 12 years old. And again, all of the performers were kind. They were all nice. They treated me as a human being. And that makes a huge difference because there's always, there's always been this moment of, what's the, is it the dresser, the movie with Albert Finney? Yes, with Albert Finney and Tom, um, oh gosh, no, it's Albert Finney and I'm blanking on his name I am now. too, I am too, uh, but where he just literally screams out, dresser! Yes, it's, it's, it is the, well, it is the dresser, yeah. It's it is 100%. the dresser, but oftentimes dressers are treated like that. Like, I've had people throw underwear in my face at the end of the night, and that's, that's not cool, but I didn't blow up out of my ticket and I went away. But everybody on Last Ship and everybody on Fela always asked me how I was doing, always asked if there was anything wrong, always were inclusive of me, and that makes a huge difference. Um Tom Courtney just came to me. Okay. But, you know, we're, as dressers, we're always kind of treated as staff or the help. Yeah. When we're there to listen to your problems, get you cold medicine, cheer you up, calm you down, get you on stage. I mean, there was a one point when I was dressing Little Mermaid that the lead freaked out because a flash pot went off at the wrong point in time and she wouldn't go back on stage. So I had to talk her back on stage because she was having a panic attack, but she had to be on stage because she was the lead. So I'm there as therapist. I'm there as cheerleader. I'm there as coach. I'm there as friend. And, and you have to do your job. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to do my job. And I have to change her in 30 seconds and get her out on stage. That's right. And there's there has been in the past a disconnect between the performers and the technicians and it is getting better but there are still times where i'm just like i'm sorry you're no better than any of us because you still put your pants on one leg at a time that's right and uh and without you they probably couldn't get their leg back in (laughs) (laughs) without us you'd be naked and on fire so just there you go and there's a quote there it says you know Give us 30 seconds and we can change the world, right? When we're backstage, exactly. dressing-wise, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that goes to the st- it goes to the stitchers, too, and people putting in zippers that break. And yep. uh, the common occurrence is uh, the bottom line I take from all that is that we're all playing on the same team. We are. We're all working towards the same goals. Exactly. At the end of the day, it's all about what happens at 8 o'clock, which is usually curtain time. Yeah. And that's, that's why we're all there together. And uh, it is a professional vocation uh, yes. to be a 
stage technician, whether it's wardrobe, lights and sound, uh, scenic props, whatever. And it takes a lot of dedication and talent and education and life experience to do what we do backstage. Yeah. And no one sees our magic backstage. They only see the front of stage magic. And they don't see that there is an entire working city behind the curtains right. to make everything that the audience sees beautiful, perfect, and magical. You know, they don't see... Uh, the the person getting swallowed by the Harry Potter bookcase. They don't see the three stagehands down below catching them, making sure they're safe. Right. You know. Or who drops the chandelier at fans? Exactly. You know. Exactly. Or who catches the flying monkeys at Wicked? They don't see that there's a dresser there and that there's a stagehand there, making sure that that actor is safe and okay, yeah. and getting dressed for the next change and on to the next. And the magic is that they're not supposed to see it, and nope. they and they don't. Nope. The audiences don't say they I mean the audiences don't yeah. see it because those people backstage are that good. Yeah, you know? there's a there's a story about one of the like Schubert bigwigs is backstage, and it's probably an urban myth legend by now. Um, and he's backstage talking to the stage manager, and all this local one guys are sitting around doing nothing, drinking coffee, watching. TV, reading the sports ads, whatever, and they're doing absolutely nothing. And the and the producer's like, why am I paying them all this money? And then blackout happens, and they change the set in under 30 minutes, under 30 seconds, and they all come back, and the stage manager turns to me and goes, that's why you're paying them all that money. Exactly. It's that. 30 seconds to change the world and make it a better place so th- uh, that the show can go on. I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> Aaron, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Same Thank you, you for being uh, a guest here on In What Artworks On Air. But before we say goodbye, if someone would like to hire you or find out more about your work, is there some place we could send them? Um, you can't hire me until July. I'm booked through June and overworked. Um, you can find me via Aaron Sims, and he'll give you my contact information. So you have to email me, folks, if you really yeah. want to get a hold of her. And, yeah, I uh, do do private commissions. And I'll take 10% because you caught No, I'm teasing. I'll feed him. Don't worry. There it's you fine. go. Well, well, here's a fun tag. Didn't you make brownies for Sting? I did, and I made pie, and I made cookies for Sting, and he hugged me at Christmas. See, it was the best time ever. So that, there's your crowning moment in your career, folks. You, you, you hang in there. You get to get hugs from Sting. He was le- wearing leather pants, too. It was lovely. All right. We're cutting off the show now. <laughs> All right. Well, that's <laughs> that's awesome. It really is awesome, actually, though. And then he's they, 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 yeah. saying, don't stand too close to me after that? No, I couldn't say anything. I was petrified like a 12-year-old girl. And he, when he hugged me, he honestly said, well, maybe you'll talk to me now. Because anytime he'd be around, I'd just be like... <gasps> Because it's 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 Sting. It's my idol. I mean, I, I've stood. The only other person I geeked out about as much was standing next to um, the Kennedy daughter that's still alive, Catherine. Catherine, and it was at some charity event, the mayor's dinner, yeah. where they always have the mayor dress up in whatever Broadway show, and they do a little skit. And she's standing right there, and I was like, <laughs> your, your Camelot's over here, exactly. Because yeah, you know, I, I mean, I've dressed major names and it's like mm, but it's you put fun your pants again on look, like everybody else look look where your career's brought you i know very I, proud of you i'm proud of you well thanks <laughs> takes one to know one i guess uh so listeners if you want to hire her shoot me an email through in what artworks all right so uh 
Thanks again to Aaron Brooke Roth for joining me on this Artist Spotlight episode of In What Artworks On Air. It's where I meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes that make their home in what we affectionately call here upstate Manhattan. Um, if you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Many thanks to Church of Good Shepherd here in Inwood, New York City for hosting us and to Hidesites.com for uptown promotional support. You can support Inwood Artworks On Air and all of our programming by making a tax-free donation at InwoodArtworks.nyc backslash donate. Be sure to follow us on our social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up all that we do, which includes the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Al Fresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. And What Artworks On Air is proud to be supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for In What Artworks On Air.